0: The following program is sponsored by New Covenant Church Greater Heights. Good Southeast Texas. It is about to get really cold here in in Houston, but we are on fire for the Holy Spirit here at, at the KKHT studios. I'm coming to you live today, and uh, this is Recovery Radio. But did you know that the Recovery Walk and and what people need to do to, to change their lives is the same as the Christian Walk? I mean, it's almost identical. And uh, so in this program, we, we bring you guests who work out and do kingdom work, faith-based rehabs, faith-based prison ministries, um, faith-based high schools that get people, young ones out of drug, drug abuse. Uh, We're going to have Kristen Gurney of the Angela house next week. She's, uh, they, uh, help women that come out of prison transition back into life. You know, it's in all of our best interest to, to have people not live under bridges and not be homeless and not be addicted, and not be involved in crime, but to be productive, uh, Tax paying citizens and of course that's what God wants for each of us. He wants us all to To be called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light and he wants us all to To every man not to perish but to come to to repentance But you know, but today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the word of God because the word of God is what can You know whom the sense sets free is free indeed And so we're just going to talk about the word of God. I want to leave you with three truths today Uh, first the Bible is an immensely powerful gift that God has given to us. It is, was written by 40 to 42, depending on which scholar you listen to, people over 2,500 years on three different continents, and it fits together seamlessly, telling one story. There's really only one author, and that is God himself. The words of the, that we read in the Bible are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and i think you can see this truth i don't have time to get into this today but if you look at for example the chiastic structure which is a ancient way to write uh for uh, let me give you an example of a chiasm when the tough gets when the going gets tough the tough gets going folds back in the creation story is a chiasm there are 81 chiasms in genesis alone the first 5 books of the pentateuch are, are a chiasm with leviticus in the middle and uh we're going to talk about the beatitudes today also which are a chiasm but in any event uh, the Bible speaks to us wherever we are. It is truth handed down millenniums. It's just as relevant today as it w- when it was penned. And uh, it is given to us as an open book test, essentially, to, to strengthen us and guide us on our spiritual journey. It's a wonderful gift. Second, John's Gospel begins by calling Jesus the Word. So uh, we have access today to the most powerful sermon ever given, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. And I want to encourage you, if you're ever confused about your purpose or how to live a godly life, how God wants you to live the abundant life that Christ promised in John 10.10, 10, this sermon is the p- first place I would recommend that you turn. And third, you know, the Sermon on the Mount defines what God's kingdom or gileon in Greek looks like. gileon is uh, directly translated as gospel or good news. But when Jesus used it, at, um, when he announced his ministry, he he meant it to be, it had a sort of a political connotation back then, and he said, this is the kingdom of God, the, this gospel that I'm preaching, this good news. And the setting of the scripture of the Sermon on the Mount and the opening pronouncements as we referenced, known as the Beatitudes, let us know that God's kingdom is open to everyone. Jesus uses this sermon to turn the world upside down. Everybody that thought they were in, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, thought they were all that in a bag of chips, they, they were out. And Jesus is preaching, you know, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. And he puts blessings over people that, and that's particularly in, in the culture that existed back then. It was just shocking that no one understood. Jesus tells us in Matthew six thirty-three. he tells us, seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and everything else will be added to you. And then he tells us in Matthew seven twenty-four, and I'm paraphrasing here, Uh, that that we should build our house on the rock. He says, whoever hears these words of mine, but catch this part, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, puts them into practice, builds his house on a rock, and therefore when the rains come and the winds blow, his house is solid. So that's in the middle and the end. But you know that there are a majority of religious scholars that don't really believe the Sermon on the Mount was given as we see it in the Bible? (laughs) I can't believe that they come up with that. Um, the sermon on the Mount, I'm an attorney as well as a pastor, the sermon in, in, in lawsuits, we make what's called opening statements at trial where we say, where we, we want the evidence to go and what we think the case is about and who's right and who's wrong. Jesus, this sermon, this beautiful, masterful, wonderful, greatest sermon ever given known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus's opening statement to the world about who he is and what he wants to accomplish, and what God's kingdom looks like. And most importantly, that God's kingdom is open to everyone. He is announcing it's open to everyone. And we can see, I'm trying to fly. I'm sorry if I'm talking fast. I've got a lot of material. This is a, a sermon I've preached at New Covenant Church, Greater Heights, and I won't get be able to get through it all on the radio. You know, I'd love for you to join us at New Covenant Church, Greater Heights. We're Sunday nights in the Heights. We're a church plant. So we decided to start at night for a couple of different reasons. One, to give people an opportunity to come check us out. Two, you, you may be in a perfectly happy where you are in a great Bible-based church, and that's wonderful. But if you want to spend more time with the Lord that day or you happen to miss church, you can come Sunday night and, and uh, worship with us. You don't have to change churches. So we're just open to there used to be a lot more Sunday night services. And we just want to we just celebrate the Lord and we praise and worship and uh, invite the Holy Ghost in. And just we we just have we have a great service. and We're a small church, but we all know each other. We know our stories. And I know it's hard to walk in sometimes to a new place, but you'll be greeted with love and encouragement. And we're at 240 West 18th Street, 77008 in the heart of the Heights. So anyway, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest and most complete teaching by Jesus in the Bible. I mean, it's really amazing. It's, it's considered to, con, to contain the central tenets of Christian discipleship. It is considered, even those by people that aren't Christians, to be the greatest discourse on morality and ethical living ever produced. One might refer to it as the ethics of the kingdom. A uh, noted psychiatrist once said that you could take all the psychiatry, all the advice, all the counseling that was ever written com- and combine it, and it would pale in comparison to the advice given on the Sermon on the Mount. It's impacted billions and billions of people, and it's really set the stage for our society, for our laws, what we consider is right and wrong, our ethics. You know, And St. Augustine, for example, considered the Beatitudes a central element of the sermon, but other theologians see the sermon centered around the Lord's Prayer. The beautiful thing about the Sermon on the Mount, to me, among a, well, among other things, is one of the most beautiful things is that it speaks to us these beatitudes that we're going to get into in just a second. They speak to us wherever we're at. Have you ever noticed how you read the Bible um, and you've read it through, and you know you read these scriptures and God speaks to you, and it's it's you have revelations and it's wonderful and it helps you up and it lifts you up. And then five, ten years later, you're you're in a different season. You're in a different place. Maybe things are better for you. Maybe you're closer to the Lord, or maybe the opposite's true. Maybe you've walked away a little bit and maybe backslid and, and made some mistakes. And, and the same verse will speak to you so differently because God wants to speak to you wherever you're at. He's a good, good God. You know, that one... Uh, theologians said that there are scholars said that there are 36 various interpretations of the Sermon of the Mount. We don't have time to get into those, but I, I want to, I'll get into a couple today. Uh, so let's set the scene. You know, Matthew has an agenda. Matthew is an outcast. And I want to say Matthew has an agenda. Again, remember the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired Matthew's words. So really God has an agenda, but each of the disciple writers, come at it a little bit different Matthew's a Jew he's a tax collector the tax collectors are just considered the outcasts of society there's there's a word uh, called mamzer in in Hebrew which means uh outcast and really uh, has to do with someone that was the product of a of a improper relationship but in any event um Matthew is the the Sadducees and Pharisees and the religious people of the time they look at him as somebody that's just off just just forsaken himself gone off and, and, of course, the people didn't like the tax collectors. Uh, you know, some some of us, people don't like them today, but uh, at least they're, the IRS is collecting taxes for our own country. These were Roman, you know, working for the Romans in an occupied land to, and, you know, many times cheating the people and taking more than they were supposed to for the Romans even. They were really looked down upon. That's why the Pharisees always asked Jesus, why is he eating with these tax collectors and, and these sinners? But... I'm going to show you something really quickly in the opening of Matthew's Gospel to illustrate his agenda, and that is in the genealogy. Don't I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't, don't change the radio dial. If you look at the, the beginning of the genealogy, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. Judah begot Perez and, and Zerah by Tamar. Okay, we have Tamar mentioned here. That's not, a, that's not a typical Hebrew genealogy. You don't mention women. Later it mentions Re- Rahab, we we mention uh, Ruth. It mentions Uriah's wife, of course, who we know as Bathsheba. Why are these women mentioned in the middle of a Hebrew genealogy? Jesus, God is telling us something here. Tamar dressed up like a prostitute. Ruth was not a Jew. She was a Moabite. Rahab was a prostitute and a Canaanite. And, of course, Solomon, King Solomon, was the product of this illicit relationship that, that King David had with Bathsheba. When he saw her on the taking a bath on the roof. So what Jesus is saying here is that he's saying this kingdom is. Um, Matthew's making a point, and that is that this is the linealogy of Jesus Christ, the, the Savior. And there, there are people in it that aren't perfect, that that weren't what was considered at that time to be perfect Jewish people from a perfect lineage. The kingdom is open to everyone, and these women did extraordinary things despite the fact that they weren't perfect. And and David, King David, a man after God's own heart, wasn't perfect. So that's how Matthew opens up. And then we see another interesting thing right before the, and I'm skipping over, of course, Jesus in chapter 4 announces, uh, repent for the kingdom of God. heaven is at hand. Uh, and then we see a opening paragraph, and Jesus went about all of Galilee, or an introductory paragraph in chapter 4, Before we get into chapter 5, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those were demonic-possessed epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. We've got a diverse mix of people here, folks, that are gathered here to hear this Sermon on the Mount. The Syria, the gospel spreading north up to Gentiles. Galilee, religious people. Decapolis, ten cities which are pagans and Gentiles. Jerusalem, we've even got Sadducees and Pharisees coming to check them out. What's going on? Judea, the Herodians. The Judeans and the Galileans despised each other. The Galileans were roughnecks. And, and then we've got... Uh, the region beyond the, the Jordan, we've got zealots. We've got this group of people here that are the, the disciples had to be thinking, oh, my goodness, what is going on? How are we going to control this? These people are going to get in fist fights. So after seeing beginning in chapter five, after seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. And what Jesus began to teach was just radical. It is radical. It is radical love. It is radical compared to what the, the cultural, if we engage in what's called textual exegesis, which is looking at the the, the context and the cultural, he, Jesus is blowing their minds, man. So we start with the Beatitudes, which some theologians have called the norms of the kingdom. And we start with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. So blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? You know, this has a this is recovery radio, and this has a a specific intent to those of us who have dif- had difficulties in life, and and have been downtrodden, and and have made mistakes, and and didn't know what to do, and were were lost again. Uh, Luke nineteen ten, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We have a special place in the kingdom, hallelujah. But there's a traditional view of what this means, and it means to have emptied yourself in your desire of free will. And the example that many people give is in Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 14, which is, I'm going to paraphrase very quickly here, which is the parable of the tax collector, there we go, tax collectors again, and the Pharisee. And the Pharisee's at one end, he says, I am so, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector down there. I fast twice a week. I give tiles of all that I get. But the tax collector, he was standing there and he he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to a sinner, I tell you. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, here, here we go, a chiasm. For everyone who exalts himself, will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The traditional view is is that we know that we need God, and that's what poor in spirit is. That we've given up our thy will be done, as we see later in the Lord's Prayer. It's one of the things they teach in, in recovery centers across the nation is, or at least faith based ones, is not your will, but his will be done, that we need him in our lives. But there's another view it's expressed in a, for example, in a very wonderful book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. And in this view, Jesus did not say the blessed are poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit. Instead, we miss the point, according to him. Jesus is saying God's blessings fall on all, even the down and out, the deplorable in our society, those down and out. Now, what does blessed mean? You know, the eh, easy translation is happy. I think a better translation is God's favor is upon. So God's favor is upon which one's right. God's favor is upon those who have given up their self will or God's favor is upon those who haven't even found God yet, but are are down and out and who he came to seek and save. And I think the answer is both. The answer is both. That's the beauty of so much of the Bible. It speaks to us wherever we are. Whatever stage in life we found, God's got his hand out. He wants to call us out of the darkness and into, the marv- into his marvelous light. And then once we're, we're there, he wants us to do his will. He wants us to be his ambassadors on earth. He wants us to be his co-workers, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God speaks to us wherever we are. These words can speak to you in different ways, depending on what season you're in. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Of course, this obviously means that when we go through, you know, Isaiah 61, God's close to us. Isaiah 57, God's close to us whenever we're down and out. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to us when we lose people. You know, we need to lean on him. But there's more meanings here. Trouble and suffering, for example, are often extremely useful. Because otherwise many people would never bother to learn the truth until driven by sorrow and failure. How many times have you heard somebody say, I need a miracle? How many times in our recovery work do we see people who just don't have anywhere else to go and they finally hit their knees and they look up to the heavens and they say, God, I need you. Trouble and suffering are very useful. They're also useful that when, when we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we can help other people who are walking through the same thing. So blessed are those that are mourn, for they shall be comforted. God wants to comfort all of us. He's such a good God. There's even another meaning. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. Once we become believers and we do our best to follow him, sometimes we make mistakes. We're in an eternal war of the flesh versus the spirit, but then when we're believers and we're really trying to follow God, we're convicted of our sin, and we mourn over it. We don't want to do it again. Say, ah, I can't believe I made that mistake. God, have mercy on me, a oh poor sinner. Please Please forgive me for what I've done. We mourn over sin, and one day God is going to wipe away Revelation 21:4. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So again, God speaks to us wherever we are. What a wonderful, good God, and what a marvelous, incredible book this living, breathing Bible is. I'd love to share. I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to be preaching the third uh, in a series, and we'll summarize. Uh, what we've done in the first two series on, on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be concluding it this Sunday at 240 West 18th Street, 77008 at 6 p.m. We're a non-denominational Bible-based spirit-filled church. Uh, come, even a recovery church. Come join us. Uh, we'd love to meet you and worship with you and praise God with you. And and uh, we're going to explore Chapter 6 and 7. We'll, we'll summarize quickly what we've done in chapter 5 so far, but... Uh, I'd love to meet you. I, I hope you can come join us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus himself said, "I'm lowly. I'm meek. I'm humble." He was. <laughs> this humble. He came such, with humility, humbled himself to the point of the cross, to death on the cross, and he changed the world. What a wonderful thing! And and we should be respectful, as First Peter. Peter wrote in First Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to make a defense. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, the traditional view is we're, we're just not looking for right conduct, but right thinking. Um D.A. Carson said it's a pattern of life and conformity to God's will. But again, we can look at it for a different way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Maybe they don't have it yet, but they want to change their lives. You know, our friends over at the Open Door Mission have people over there, had the opportunity to preach there a couple of weeks ago, and I could see in those men, those addicted homeless men who, who were new creations in Christ, I could see as they listened to the sermon, I could see the hunger in their eyes, hunger and thirst after righteousness. One commentator said these first four uh, Beatitudes are, are when we're in our suffering and the last four or at least the uh, five, six and seven are when we minister to the to the to the difficulties. When We minister to the suffering. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. I'm not going to be able to get anywhere close to the sermon that I finished that I t- preached a couple of weeks ago. But let me just make some ending comments here in our last few minutes. The Greek word, one of the translations or words that could be used for righteousness, is a And what a chiasm does is is often the most important things are fold. These two things are fold fold over. Um, the all those that are uh, exalt themselves will be humbled. All those that are humbled themselves will be exalted. That's a chiasm. It reverses itself. Well, four and five are in the middle of this chiasm, and so. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness and blessed are those that are merciful for they shall obtain merciful. If we're righteous, if we're trying to be righteous, if we're trying to be loving, forgiving, we'll be merciful. Those will lead into each other. And mercy's not easy. Compassion or forgiveness towards someone when you've got power over them is, is difficult. Look at the world. The world likes mercy. We've got, we've got world hunger. Mercy is compassion in action. But it's so important. Look at the mercy that God's given us when Jesus Christ went to the cross and nailed every one of our trillions and trillions, quadrillions of sins up on that cross so that we could be forgiven. He forgave us when yet we were still sinners. God has been so merciful towards us. Aren't we called to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbor as ourselves? If we had more mercy in this world, the world would be such a better place blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god what a what a high calling man i think the point here is that man looks at the outward appearance but the lord jesus is is after as he's preaching this he he knows that we can't do as we continue through the through the sermon on the mount that we can't do these things perfectly but jesus is not looking at at, at just what we do. He's looking at what our heart is. That's why he says in Matthew six thirty three, he says, seek you the kingdom of God and his righteousness first and everything else will follow. If we get our hearts right, if we're trying to do our best, imitate Christ and get our hearts right, then, then, then we can be who God wants us to be. We can follow Christ. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must Deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. That's what we're called to do is follow Christ. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to all creation. He's given us a roadmap how to do it. This Sermon on the Mount is so powerful, and if we aspire to these lofty goals, then we can live the kind of life that can spread Christ's abundance across the world. Hey, please join us. at uh, I didn't get too far <laughs> into chapter 5, but, uh, you know, if if you want to hear more about the Sermon on the Mount, just how good our God is, join us at 240 West 18th Street, 77008, Sunday nights in the Heights, New Covenant Church, Greater Heights. I'd, I'd love to meet you. You'll be encouraged. You'll be loved and, and we'll have a good time. We, It's a great way to end the week and to start your new week of Sunday nights. Uh, you know, we love you at New Covenant Church, Greater Heights, but more importantly, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Good night and amen.